A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I am glad you've joined the program today. So as I mentioned on uh, Monday's show, we I, we are talking about Gavin Newsom uh, and his uh, latest gun control proposal. In fact, uh, Mark Oliva from the National Shooting Sports Foundation is sitting down with us to talk about what Gavin Newsom is calling for, but also what Gavin Newsom isn't talking about. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show, sir. It's good talking with you today. It's great to see you, Cam. I appreciate you having us and then us back on the show. Absolutely. So so let me ask, because it seems to be one of two reactions to Gavin Newsom saying, well, I don't like what the Supreme Court's doing. We're going to do this Texas-style abortion law, but it's got to be gun control. There's folks who say, look, this is serious. This could really impact Californians. And then there are the folks who say, look, this is a political stunt. Uh, this doesn't really amount to anything. What is the NSSF's reaction to Newsom saying that he wants to empower private citizens to, uh, you know, uh, sue gun makers and I guess gun possessors uh, yeah. uh, you know, if, if they are caught with a quote unquote assault weapon in California? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, we're waiting to see what the text of the proposed language that he wants in this legislation. That's really what it comes down to. The devil's always in the details, right? And, and especially when you talk about California gun laws, there's, there's a lot of devils in those details. So we'll be interested in see what it's going to happen. But as we're starting to, you know, trying to look into this and what it's going to mean for the industry, what it's going to mean for our customers, uh, it is something that we think may be untenable. And, and, and it comes down to the fact is that you have a constitutionally protected, enumerated, God-given right to keep and bear arms. That is noted in the Constitution. And I'm not trying to mix the, the two different issues here of, of abortion and firearm possession, which, of course, is what Gavin Newsom's trying to do because it's, it preaches to his base. Uh, and, that, and that's what he's trying to do with this. It, it makes a great splash in the media. It, it, it riles up the people who may be aligned with him on those two issues, on abortion rights and, and on gun control. But when you start talking about firearm possession, which is – specifically mentioned in the Bill of Rights as a right of the individual, which has been affirmed by the Supreme Court, now we're having some issues. So if he's going to allow individuals to take lawsuits against other individuals or firearm manufacturers, there are a lot of legal obstacles that have to be overcome, not a, not the least of which is the Constitution, but also the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Okay, so so how would the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act apply to what uh, Newsom has proposed? Again, keeping in mind, we don't have the actual text of the yeah. proposal, but what does the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act actually do? Because, yeah, so, you know, again, to hear the gun control lobby say it, it's, well, it just it, it indemnifies the firearms industry against being sued anytime, anywhere, for any purpose. Yeah. And I know that's not the case. So what does the law actually do? Yeah, so the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, bipartisan legislation that was passed in 2005, signed into law by President George W. Bush. And what it does, basically, it says that you cannot sue a manufacturer for the criminal actions of a non-associated third party. So someone who uses a firearm in a crime that is no way related to a firearm manufacturer, distributor, retailer, is not a member of that company, is not somebody who, who has any affiliation with the company, but criminally misuses that firearm in a crime. And you cannot go back and sue that manufacturer, that distributor, that retailer for selling a constitutionally protected item, and that product being the, the firearm itself. This would be akin to suing Budweiser and Ford for the crimes caused by drunk drivers. 
Budweiser has no responsibility in that. Neither does Ford have any responsibility. The responsibility lies in the individual breaking the law. And this is what the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act does. It does not give blanket immunity to the industry. The industry still can be held responsible for defects. It still can be held responsible for any kind of malfeasance within the companies. It can be held. Those things still apply. And it's not unique to the firearm industry. Similar protections right now, everybody who's getting their COVID shot needs to understand that the same sort of protections that the firearm industry enjoys, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, also apply to pharmaceutical companies, specifically to the people who are producing these COVID vaccines. They cannot be sued because of the product that they make because they're making it with these protections. Airline uh, airline industry has, excuse me, the same type of protections. Computers, computer providers, service providers have the same type of protections. So this is not something that's unique to the industry. It just happens to be that the industry needed this legislation because there were harassing lawsuits that were defeated in court every time that were being brought up by people like some of our favorite anti-gun people, like Governor Cuomo when he was the Housing and Urban Secretary, uh, Urban Housing Secretary, was bringing up these lawsuits and these municipalities bringing these lawsuits. They were trying to bleed the industry dry through the death of a thousand cuts, just tying them up in court. And that, that was happening in the late 90s, early 2000s, and this legislation put an end to that. All right. So speaking of Cuomo, because you and I talked about this earlier this year where Cuomo signed a bill uh, into law in New York that basically says, hey, you know what? We can use the public nuisance statutes to sue fire manufacturers, uh, basically uh, arguing that their marketing uh, compelled people to create crimes. Uh, and so that law is now on the books. Yeah. And it seems to me that that Newsom. Obviously, the language that he's using and the impetus for for his own gun control call is is different. It's the Texas law. But it sounds to me like the intent is really the same here. Uh, We want to go after the firearms industry. We want to try to shut down the firearms industry. We don't want them to be able to make firearms available to American citizens. If we can't choke off the right to keep and bear arms uh, at the individual gun owner level, well, let's destroy the industry and see what happens. Yeah, and, that, and that's really what it is. The New York law tried to punch a hole right to the middle of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. And shortly after that law was signed by Governor Cuomo, we put out a press release that said we had every intent to sue the state of New York over that law because it does run counter to any basic understanding of tort law. It just, just does not pass muster. And it also runs counter to the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which essentially codifies what is understood as basic tort law. This, this attempt here in California is the same thing. They're trying to get at it any which way they can. They understand they've been frustrated by getting it. They didn't get their champion, David Chipman, in as the head of the ATF. They understand they've been frustrated that they couldn't get any gun control moved through Congress because the Senate is blocking all that from happening. So they're going to try and go at it at the state level. This is not a surprise to the industry. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody who's been watching the gun control side of this. But it also, as we're looking at it, we don't believe that this really has likes. We think that one is confronted. Uh, with the facts in a court of law, these these types of uh, pieces of legislation will be found to be unconstitutional and be found to run counter to the way we do business here in the United States. The Congress, not the states, Congress has the authority over interstate commerce and that the protection, your right to keep and bear arms is protected by the Constitution and that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is constitutional, has been found to be constitutional by every every court that's out there that's been challenged in it. And it, we think that these things are going to hold up. So, again, these are nibbles around the edges, but they think they can find traction. But we don't believe they're constitutional. We believe that they will, will have success in court. You know, and it seems to me, Mark, we should also point out the fact that um, – <coughs> 
uh, uh, quote unquote assault weapons are already banned in California. Like th- this yeah. is the thing that I don't think Gavin Newsom really understood what he was doing when he tried to open up this can of worms because he said if the most efficient way to uh, to stop these guns from uh, from being here is to allow private citizens to sue, well then let's do it. Okay, what does that say about the efficacy of all of the gun control laws that are already on the books in the state of California? I mean, the state of California has gone back and repeatedly redefined what a quote-unquote assault weapon is, kind of proven the point that this is a made-up invented term. Uh, but I think yeah. they've done that, what, like four times since the 1990s, each each definition broader than the last, more expansive yeah. than the last, trying to bring as many firearms as possible under that rubric. And, and yet here's Gavin Newsom seeming to acknowledge, maybe inadvertently, but 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 acknowledging it seems like these gun control laws don't stop bad actors. They don't stop violent criminals. But they've deprived how many Californians of owning some of the most commonly owned firearms in the country, not only AR-15s, not only modern sporting rifles, but you look at the roster of handguns uh, that, uh, you know, is present in California. No new models of handguns have been available for sale to consumers since microstamping came into effect a decade ago. And yet, despite all of those prohibitions that are aimed directly at legal, law-abiding, responsible gun owners, Gavin Newsom still complaining about violent crime being out of control. At what point, you know, I mean, I know at what point you and I would say, hey, maybe it's not the guns. Maybe we look somewhere else to uh, to, to try to reduce violent crime. But I, it seems to me like th- they're just going to keep going down this road here. And unfortunately, not only are gun owners paying the price, but crime victims are paying the price. People are dying yeah. needlessly. People are being assaulted. They're being carjacked. They're being they're having their homes invaded because you've got politicians that are focused on the 80 to 100 million legal gun owners in this country, as opposed to the much smaller universe of violent criminals. You're exactly right. And I think this is important. And you've pointed it out before. I think we've tried to point it out before that two things on this. People like Governor Newsom will always point out if we just have one more law. Well, you're right. That's an admission that the previous attempts at the laws that they said I needed just one more law and I could protect society didn't work that they were all just uh, trumped up ideas that, and that really what it was going after was the wrong target. And again, what you didn't notice, the second point of this, and you, you were talking about this, is Governor Newsom came out and said that he was going to allow ordinary citizens, as well as you know municipalities, to go after the fire industry, go after individual gun owners for simply exercising their Second Amendment rights. But he didn't say anything about allowing them to go after the people who are perpetrating the crimes. Meanwhile, you have district attorneys who are turning out criminals Literally, the day they commit the crime, right back out onto the streets, they commit the same crime again. There's a crime wave that's happening in the city, just being documented across the media. And there's a refusal to address it. The L.A. County Sheriff is head to head with the L.A. District Attorney because he refuses to do his job and lock up criminals. And here you have the sheriff who's looking at this and he can't understand why somebody who refuses to do their job still has a job. So when he's targeting gun owners and not the criminals, and telling people that you can sue people who follow the law, but not hold those accountable who are breaking the law. Who is Governor Newsom really representing? Is he representing the people of California or is he representing the criminals of California? And I think that's right now a fairly obvious answer. You know, I, I unfortunately, I think you're right. Uh, and I think that this is, as you say, it's not just Gavin Newsom. I mean, it's, you know, we've got a bunch of prosecutors out there from uh, Chesa Budin in San Francisco to Kim Fox in Chicago to uh, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, who says that there's no crime problem in Philadelphia, even though homicides have reached an all time high, uh, who are again, they're 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 they are soft on crime. Uh, they 
simply believe that uh, I, in fact, I read a column from a Baltimore Sun columnist today that I think sort of it typifies this uh, calling for an army of social workers uh, as opposed to actual law enforcement, actual consequences. Baltimore is another city. Seven years in a row, 300 plus homicides going back to 2015 when you had the Freddie Gray riots. And coincidentally enough, Mark, ever since those riots happened, violent crime in Baltimore has been higher than it was before the riots. I, and, you know, what do we see last summer? Cities across the country erupt in riots. And, yep, the, the you know, the riots have burned themselves out, but the violent crime is still at an increased level. And it seems to me like that's an issue that nobody really wants to talk about. They don't want to talk about you know, police staffing levels. They don't want to talk about the actions of prosecutors. They they simply want to say, well, look, a lot of people bought guns last year. Violent crime rose last year. Clearly, one led to the other. Yeah, they 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 always try to tie it. We've seen that uh, Bloomberg's every town's uh, propaganda piece. The traces tried to do this. They they desperately hold on to the narrative that you know law abiding citizens exercising their Second Amendment rights is is tied to the rise in crime. When I've tried to point out to them that the spike of crime started when these uh, talk about defunding police and the riots started happening in these cities and people started buying firearms to protect themselves. Where our surveys have borne that out, have shown us that the people who are, who are buying guns are buying guns to be able to protect themselves. Over half the firearms that are sold every year are handguns. Handguns with very rare exception are primarily used for either recreational target shooting or self-defense either in the home or for concealed carry. They're not a very good application uh, hand, you know, handguns using for, for bird hunting is just not going to work. So you have to look at what people are buying, what type of gun for. And we've seen 21 million background checks last year for the sale of a gun. So far this year, we've had 16.7 million already, uh, already tracking to be the second strongest year on record. People are buying guns because they're concerned for their personal safety, because they no longer believe that their government that's representing them is is representing them in a way that's going to keep them safe and keep their community safe. And we've seen this happen time and again. And when you have the governor of a state coming out saying that he wants to sue the manufacturers and sue those who are lawfully, legally exercising their rights, instead of going after the criminals, I think we understand where a lot of this problem lies is in people who refuse to address what the problem is. And instead, will scapegoat those who are doing everything they can to obey the law and keep themselves and their families safe. Yep, absolutely. Mark Oliver with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. As always, sir, appreciate you joining us on the program today and uh, look forward to seeing you in person here in about a month or so. Very excited to see a SHOT Show. Can't wait to see everyone else attend. And Cam, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Appreciate Mark's time. And uh, yes, looking forward to our coverage from SHOT Show coming up in, uh, let's see, a little more than a month from now. Wow, that's absolutely right. Uh, by the way, we're going to be doing some cool stuff for our VIP members. So if you're not a VIP member of Bearing Arms, you can always subscribe at bearingarms.com slash subscribe, believe it or not. Uh, and you can use the promo code GUNRIGHTS to get a significant discount on your VIP membership. Uh, not only will you get exclusive analysis, content, news stories, things you're not going to find anywhere else, but... Uh, again, it also supports independent journalism. Uh, your support really does allow us to do things like go to SHOT Show and talk to some of these uh, uh, major players within the firearms industry, Second Amendment advocates and activists alike, uh, as well as introducing you to some uh, cool folks who I, you know, you might not have uh, run across these individuals before. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We'll start there. I actually had two, but I had to settle on one. Here you go, Colorado Springs, where a Colorado Springs man shot by his wife during an assault, sentenced to probation. Yeah, so you've got 
a bit of an armed citizen story here, in addition to a uh, a case involving somebody who really should be spending some time behind bars, but who got a sweetheart of a plea deal. 30-year-old Morgan Chess pleaded guilty back in October with prosecutors to felony menacing uh, in an assault back in April involving his wife. Uh, on Monday, he was sentenced to three years of supervised probation in a Colorado state court. That plea agreement also bundling two of his other cases inside. So uh, assaulting his wife, driving drunk and evading police, and then a misdemeanor menacing case also involving his wife, all wrapped up, tied up in a neat little bow, presented to Mr. Chess, and he was told basically, uh, listen, you're not going to be able to drive uh, until your eligibility is restored, but for the next three years, you're on probation. I mean, this was an assault that was so severe that Morgan Chess's wife was forced to defend herself with a firearm. She told police that when she arrived home from work, she found her husband already drunk. He proceeded to pick several fights with her that eventually led to him beating, choking, and threatening to kill her. And she said that the incident was the latest of hundreds of times that Morgan Chess had been violent with her. Now, again, he's only charged with this one incident. But his wife says, look, this has happened a lot of times before. Court records indicate that April Chess had sought a temporary protection order against her husband back in April. It doesn't indicate if the temporary order was upgraded to a permanent one in a separate hearing or if that temporary order is still in effect. But again, here is a, a, a violent assault that led to a woman using a firearm in self-defense. And the court allows him to plead guilty to a lesser charge to bundle in other criminal cases, including one other felony case. And allow him to walk away on probation. I, 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 I'm just sort of gobsmacked by that. Now, today's armed citizen story. Greensboro, North Carolina, where a store employee shot and killed a 17-year-old robbery suspect. This was uh, Monday night. Officers called to the Tobacco and Vape store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for a report of a robbery. Uh, according to officials, three men went into the store. Uh, took an undisclosed amount of cash at gunpoint. According to police, a store employee shot one of the robbery suspects during that robbery. That uh, suspect, uh, dying from their injuries, identified as 17-year-old Gabriel Malachi Kalu of Greensboro, North Carolina. We don't have a lot of details about this case, uh, but it sure sounds like police are investigating this as a uh, an act of self-defense, in addition, of course, to the armed robbery there in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. We'll bring any details as they become available. And finally today, our good deed of the day from St. John, Indiana, where police officer Daryl Schaefer, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save the life of two children who were the unwitting uh, 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 victims of a uh, police chase that ended up with a car in a retention pond. Officer Sheriffer said he didn't know if there were kids in the car. He had, he had followed this car into Illinois, then back to Indiana after the driver allegedly fled a traffic stop. Uh, but dash cam shows that Schaefer quickly shed like 40 pounds of police equipment, jumped into that pond in December in Indiana uh, to save anybody who needed rescue because the driver lost control of the vehicle, ended up in the water. He told reporters on Monday that when he waded over to the vehicle in the water that was about chest deep, again, in this retention pond, he saw a three-year-old child floating in the back seat. He was able to pull her out through a front passenger window. He said, I don't know how much time I had to get her out. And then officers told him to look for another child 
an infant. He said he didn't see a baby, a car seat, or anything else. He said all I could see was water. He said there were two bags of clothes that I moved out of the way. And he said, I still couldn't see the baby. He said, but then I reached into the water and I felt a leg. He said, I pulled her upside down out of the water. And I handed her to the Lake County Sheriff's Officer that was on the embankment to get her to the ambulance. The eight-month-old child wasn't crying, uh, but was alert and cognizant after being underwater for about 90 seconds. Schaefer said, I didn't know if she was breathing. I just wanted to get her out of the water and into the medic's hands. The children did nothing wrong. They were in a bad situation that they should not ever have been put in. He's absolutely right about that. Uh, St. John Police Chief Stephen Flores says there's no question that uh, Schaefer is a hero. He said, very fortunate that he was there when he was there and that he got to them as soon as possible, saying, I truly believe that his efforts saved those kids' lives. Um, during this uh, traffic stop that led to the, uh, the the chase, officers discovered that there was a 26-year-old male passenger from Chicago who had an active warrant for failure to appear on drug-related charges out of Iowa. Police tried to place him under arrest. The man ended up running away from officers. Actually ended up at a different retention pond at one point where he was uh, taken in by police and taken to a hospital for exposure. But the driver of this vehicle takes off from the traffic stop. That's where the officers uh, gave chase. Um, according to investigators, the male driver could face a criminal charge. Or excuse me. The male passenger could face a criminal charge for fleeing. Obviously the outstanding warrants female driver may face a felony resisting charge as well as two counts of felony neglect of an independent. I, I would certainly think that uh, that would be appropriate there, but uh, regardless of the criminal charges that the uh, suspects in this case might face, thankfully again, the uh, two children who were the victims of those adults in that car, safe and sound, thanks to the uh, quick reaction and uh, fast response by uh, Officer Daryl Schaefer there in St. John, Indiana. We thank you, sir, for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but we will be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. Uh, again, be sure to check out bearingarms.com throughout the day. We're updating the site constantly with the latest stories about uh, your right to keep and bear arms, the threats to them, and the success stories as well. The Second Amendment success stories, we don't ignore those. We might even have some additional armed citizen stories for you on the website. You never know. Anyway, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. 